0: In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the seed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own seed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true. For genetically engineered food. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the genetic crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. Agenda 21. Well, there sure has been a bit of talk about it lately. If you've never heard of it before, don't be alarmed, as there are many folks out there who haven't. But there are also many out there who already have, and a lot of them are up in arms over it. Why? What is it? Well, Agenda 21 is basically an action plan for the 21st century that was created by the United Nations in the early 1990s as a way to centralize and use global resources more efficiently and effectively to create a sustainable future. The word sustainable comes up quite a lot in the language surrounding Agenda 21, and to be honest, at first glance, the whole thing sounds really pretty good. Better efficiency and productivity, better utilization of resources, combating poverty, protecting the fragile environment, and more. But is it really all that it's cracked up to be? Is there more to it than meets the eye? Well, some are saying that the global sustainability push is really a transparent plot to centralize power in the United Nations and promote special interests at the expense of private property rights, national sovereignty, and individual freedoms. Now, whether that thinking is right or wrong remains to be seen. But what makes Agenda 21 particularly interesting as of late is the fact that corporate giant Monsanto recently joined the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, which is a group of powerful corporate players, including major banks and big oil companies, that have a very keen interest in Agenda 21's objectives. On the surface, it has all indications of benefiting countries with struggling economies and minimal resources helping to make them sustainable. But why is there such interest by these corporations and these banks? The fact that such incredible wealth is suddenly so interested in humanitarian endeavors and philanthropy makes one wonder if there is something else at work here. Why do these multinational corporations and organizations value the Agenda 21 doctrine? And how would they benefit from being involved in this program? Well, these are some of the questions I want to examine this evening as we discuss all aspects of Agenda 21 and what the real implications are behind the scenes. Well, first, let's look at what Agenda 21 actually is. Beginning in 1989, the United Nations Division for Sustainable Development drafted a document addressing ideas for moving toward global resource sustainability. The finalized document was then presented at the UN Earth Summit Conference held in Rio de Janeiro in 1992, and it was overwhelmingly approved with 178 different governments voting to adopt the program at the time, and so Agenda 21 was born. It contains over 300 pages and is divided into four main sections spelling out structured action plans for fighting poverty, especially in developing countries. Changing consumption patterns, achieving a more sustainable population, atmospheric protection, combating deforestation, control of pollution and the management of biotechnology. It also addresses the roles of non-government organizations, local authorities, and businesses as well as specifically how technology, education, and financial institutions should be organized and implemented. Since its official introduction at the conference in Rio de Janeiro, Agenda 21 has been adopted by more than 200 countries worldwide and has been progressively modified and updated at different UN summits throughout the years. And one of the primary philosophies behind Agenda 21 is that the degrading global environment is the number one problem we are facing today, and that all the negative impacts springing from this are being caused by human activity. And so by that logic, human activity needs to be tightly monitored, regulated, and controlled for the benefit of the greater good, and that it must be managed at all levels from global to local. This is the problem, the very, very big problem that many folks are having with the idea of Agenda 21. On the surface, it looks and sounds great, but to achieve the objectives it's spelling out means that we are ultimately handing over control to a centralized, profit-minded, small group of people who view the rest of us as the problem. Although there may be a lot of truth to the fact that many of the problems we currently face have been created by our own hand, It seems a bit misguided to implement a program that considers increasing global population as one of the primary causes. For example, 10% of the world's populations with the highest income, which is about 700 million people, are really the ones responsible for the majority of problems concerning the environment and depletion of natural resources. The poorest 40% of people on earth are estimated to consume less than 5% of the existing natural resources and the poorest 20%, which is about 1.4 billion people, use less than 2%. So if somehow the poorest billion people on earth disappeared tomorrow, it would barely be noticeable and have very little effect on global natural resource use and pollution. So keep in mind that poor countries with higher population growth tend to have the lowest greenhouse gas emissions per capita. But on the other hand, if the richest 700 million people were to accept a more average standard of living, then resource use and pollution could be drastically reduced by as much as half of what it is now. When considering global resource consumption and environmental degradation, it's really not the majority of the population on this planet that is to blame if we're going to be pointing fingers. To implement a program like Agenda 21 that considers the greater population mass as the problem and then goes on to target it, whoever is deemed it at any particular point in time, as needing regulation and control, that's very, very unsettling. Now let me come back to Monsanto. How is Monsanto involved? In January of this year, Monsanto joined the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, an organization founded along with Agenda 21 at the 1992 Rio Earth Summit to ensure that the corporate voice was heard at the forum. The general consensus was that business had an essential and prominent role to play in Agenda 21 regarding the push for a sustainable society. The World Business Organization is known for its membership comprised of corporate CEOs from big oil companies, major banks, auto industries, and is supported by the likes of the Rockefeller and Ford Foundations. In short, monetary resources are virtually unlimited. But now how does any of this relate to the GMO biotech industry? Well, the United Nations views biotechnology as a means to achieving their sustainability goals in the agricultural sector, and therefore they fully embrace it. Let me reiterate that. The UN views biotech, genetic engineering practices as a means of achieving sustainability and therefore fully endorses and embraces it agenda 21 contains an entire chapter speaking to the benefits of biotechnology and how it should be broadly implemented especially in underdeveloped countries it says that biotechnology offers new opportunities for global partnerships and that well-coordinated efforts involving cooperation between scientists, financial institutions, and biotech industries will be required. The agenda goes on to say that significant new investments and human resource development will be necessary in biotechnology through the coming years with major support from governments, international organizations, biotech corporations, and academic institutions. This is all reminiscent of what, what some would call the Monsanto Agenda. And even coincides with what they've been trying to do for years, which is accessing developing countries, sometimes illegally, and pressuring the use of their GMO seeds under the guise of helping those countries. They have done this in Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, India, Africa, the Philippines, and many others throughout the world. However, Monsanto's so-called humanitarian efforts have nothing to do with helping and everything to do with opening new markets that they can capitalize on monetarily. Agenda 21 is the perfect avenue for Monsanto to continue their business model because it grants them not only access to more countries, but it supplies them additional resources and support from the UN. What better way to gain a monopoly of the world food supply than to be endorsed by the United Nations, all under the illusion of a cooperative venture to increase agricultural sustainability? Some would say this is the perfect cover for a company wanting to expand its reach internationally. So why did they wait until this year to jump on the wagon? If we look at Monsanto's history, it's clear they have been progressing and expanding exceptionally well independently despite their competition. But they've also run into many barriers in their attempt to tackle foreign markets, which has held them back considerably. Barriers that are due mainly to their own questionable and illegal practices in doing business. For example, a few years ago in Indonesia, Monsanto bribed 140 government officials with over $700,000 to bend regulations and allow their GMO cotton to be grown there. They ended up getting fined $1.5 million for this illegal activity and have had major troubles in the region since. They also met strong resistance in Haiti where farmers rejected donations of their GM corn after the 2010 earthquake there. More recently, Japan and South Korea rejected the import of Monsanto's GMO wheat that was illegally grown and harvested in Oregon. Other countries like Mexico, Russia, Australia, Peru, Egypt, and many more all have had bad interactions with Monsanto, bribing their government officials and farmers, fixing elections, using United States foreign policy as leverage, illegally planting GMO crops, doing underhanded deals, and the list goes on and on. The UN is above all of this, though. They are viewed as the great neutral peacekeeper of the world and project the image of moral integrity by helping countries through providing resources and aid. It makes sense, then, that Monsanto sees an opportunity to gain acceptance and access to those countries that are giving them resistance by piggybacking on the UN. In other words, Monsanto has reached the point that to expand their business more effectively in the international domain, They must utilize the UN and Agenda 21 to provide a gateway into these countries. And this is the primary reason they joined the World Business Council for Sustainable Development earlier this year. That was their way in. And by joining, they also immediately gained resources and partnership opportunities with other involved corporations. And it's worth noting that all the other biotech chemical companies, making up the Big Six or the Six Kings, Syngenta, Bayer, BASF, Dow, and DuPont. Well, they're already members of the World Business Council as well, along with many other opportunity-seeking corporations looking to capitalize on vulnerable countries. Take, for example, Siemens, a multi-billion-dollar company who is a major contributor of renewable energy development and production worldwide, which includes biomass and biofuel operations. Renewable energy is a very popular buzzword in international government circles today, and it fits really nicely in the language of Agenda 21 with regard to sustainability alternatives. But renewables that are used in biofuels particularly impact the environment in very negative ways, for example through massive deforestation projects, and as a result, They need to replenish these resources quickly through GMO trees and crops engineered to grow quickly and withstand heavy doses of pesticide. Well, this is a very fortunate coincidence for biotech chemical companies like Monsanto, Dow, and DuPont, who are the ones providing the GMO biomass technology and associated chemicals to be used in these green technology processes. Siemens doesn't have the best track record either. They have been involved with bribery to win energy contracts, price fixing of electrical power markets in the EU, and aiding Iran in illegal surveillance and supplying materials for their nuclear program. And let's also talk about Chevron, one of the largest oil companies in the world. They are also a member of the World Business Council and new partners to Monsanto. Chevron is guilty of some of the worst environmental and human rights abuses in the world. They are responsible for seriously damaging the ecosystem and people of Ecuador by dumping toxic byproduct into rivers and streams instead of reinserting them into the ground. And then they lied, telling the locals the oil contained harmless vitamins and minerals. And last year, Chevron came under fire in Brazil for carelessness in an offshore spill. Brazil filed a lawsuit for $22 billion, claiming Chevron was not careful enough when dealing with risky offshore oil fields. The suit is still unresolved. In Nigeria, they collaborated with the police and military that opened fire on peaceful protesters opposing the extraction of oil in the Niger Delta. Chevron has also hired the mercenary group Blackwater to conduct operations for them. These guys are perfectly compatible with Monsanto on many levels. Misuse and cover-up of toxic chemical abuse affecting the public is reminiscent of Monsanto's negligence with PCB contamination, DDT, Agent Orange, and glyphosate, even still claiming these are safe for human contact despite the thousands of people dead or seriously afflicted because of them. And then there is the obvious connection with Blackwater, which Monsanto now owns, Associations with big oil companies also benefit Monsanto because they need something called Petroleum Coke, which is an oil refinery byproduct, and they need this to produce their Roundup herbicides. Yet another beneficial association for Monsanto and big component of the UN's Agenda 21 are the many international banks involved. The World Bank has collaborated with the United Nations in nearly every region and sector for years but they are also notorious for imposing harsh conditions and penalties on loans made to governments around the world. Surprisingly, they are heavily involved and invested in the oil, gas, and mining industries, which are highly destructive and non-eco-friendly, taking away long-term sustainability for host countries. Well, this is very contradictory, considering two of their main tenets are the reduction of poverty and the support of Agenda 21 sustainability goals. And it's also disturbing to know that the largest banks are not purely lending institutions anymore, as they have been understood to be, but rather they've been morphed into towering businesses that make profit by owning large pieces of industries, such as the electrical energy sector. This has nothing to do with banking, and everything to do with a business having enormous working capital to invest in and to control markets. Bank of America chairman Charles Holliday was named the co-chair of the U.N.'s high-level group on sustainability energy for all. Should a banker be in charge of making decisions on energy policy? It appears as far as the U.N. is concerned, that job goes to the highest bidder. Banks in control of industries and commodities can be useful partners to companies like Monsanto, especially when they can provide huge financial resources toward green energy and biotechnology. These are the types of entities that comprise the membership of the United Nations Sustainability Plan and are now partnered with the likes of Monsanto. These are the companies and banks that would have the rest of us believe they are genuinely interested and concerned for the welfare of the world's populations. It doesn't take much investigation to discover that, rather, their intent is to exploit the populations and are using their interconnections with each other through shared personnel, shared resources, and common business objectives to do it, but as if this is not bad enough, the underlying motivations for Agenda 21 are even more sinister. It seems the real crux of the matter is that the UN agenda ultimately seeks to unify the governing entities of the world into a single governing body, or planetary corporation if you will, that can be managed, monitored, and controlled at all levels. To accomplish this transition, it is said that the populations of the world must be gradually reoriented to accept this kind of reality and to view consumption, government, and their place in the global community in a different light. The real aim is that consumption of resources will become more tightly monitored and controlled under the guise of conserving the environment and will be sold to the public as being for the sake of the greater good, and therefore individual rights must be surrendered. The essence of the agenda requires that every aspect of human life, opinions, lifestyles, behavior, education, agriculture, law, industry, and more, needs to be reshaped to conform to new international standards, standards that will ultimately move us toward a universal government. It is speculated that the formation of such a thing is not a matter of if, but a matter of when, and the when may be sooner than we think. Now, to some, you know, this may sound like activist rhetoric, but it isn't. I have to be honest, I was initially skeptical when I set out to research this topic, but the historical record doesn't lie. Who is behind the UN, and how did they get this idea in the first place? Well, it didn't start with them. Extremely wealthy and influential families like the Rockefellers have for years promoted the idea of a single government. The Rockefeller family has traditionally been exceedingly involved in international affairs since the early 20th century, and they are credited with actually funding the genesis of the United Nations in 1945. The current UN headquarters in New York City was built on land owned by the Rockefellers. The truth is that the Rockefellers, along with a small handful of other very powerful families, exert untold influence on international affairs and the United Nations to this day. And they have also consistently promoted the ideology of globalism, which is the view that one nation should project political power on the rest of the world. It is no surprise, then, that the UN also holds this view, which raises the question of who, then, is really at the helm? Is international policy in the hands of the super elite? Maybe that's not such a stretch. Knowing this may shed new light on the true motivations of the banks and corporations involved with the UN Sustainability Plan. Maybe it is a matter of grabbing as much power and securing the highest place possible on the totem pole before a one-world universal government solidifies. The formation of a world government may not seem imminent to us now, but that doesn't mean we should disregard it as propaganda, nor should we assume that the Agenda 21 protocol is not happening. It is happening. More recently, it has actually been gaining momentum, and it will be affecting our lives increasingly in the next few years. This will include greater regulation of water, electrical power, transportation, and eventually denying human access to certain wilderness areas. Property zoning will be readjusted to prioritize and accommodate government-subsidized housing, urban centers, or green projects requiring land use. But one of the most troubling impacts of the Agenda 21 plan will be the endorsement and expansion of biotechnology practices worldwide. Not only will there be a greater demand for green energy resources requiring GMOs and chemicals, but also more genetically engineered food crops, pharmaceuticals, and a smear of other GMO products. Because of the sustainability plan and the shift in belief that world food supplies cannot be met without a GMO overhaul of global agriculture, biotech corporations like Monsanto will enjoy domination of food markets worldwide. The kicker is that the U.S. government agencies, such as the EPA and USDA, will be used as leveraging points, denying grant funding and support at the state and local levels if these types of sustainable plans aren't adhered to. Monsanto already enjoys immense power and influence in the U.S. government, placing them above the law. Now, with the endorsement of the U.N. and Agenda 21, as well as other corporate powers, they may just become virtually unstoppable, unless consumers stop them. But that's another show. Now I'd like to move on to a part of the show called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there can write into the show and share their thoughts and comments or ask their questions. And during each broadcast, I'll get through as many as I can. I've actually pulled a few out of the bag from earlier write-ins that I didn't get a chance to respond to. Uh, so here we go. Uh, Selena wrote in and says, Hello, Anna. I've listened to most of your shows in the Archive Listens. And I'm feeling much more informed on the whole subject. I feel that I can communicate on the topic much more intelligently, and I've even interacted in other forums online concerning the topic. This year, I used Miracle Grow and noticed that my tomatoes grew like Jack's beanstalk. They should be called tomato trees. But just a couple weeks ago, I learned that Miracle Grow is a Monsanto product. This got me wondering if they are able to place GMO material in Miracle Grow that would enter a growing garden plant. Is this possible? And what do they put in that soil that makes things grow so out of control? Is it just a special fertilizer? Thank you. Well, hi, Selena, and thanks so much for writing into the show to answer your question. Yes, there is a risk of GMO contamination of fertilizers, since many of them are plant-based and could be derived from GM corn or soy. So yes, the Miracle-Gro may contain GMO material, but it isn't likely that it will be absorbed into your garden plants through the soil. Uh, GMO is just... Really don't work that way. But there are other things to consider if you're using Miracle Grow. Uh, it's full of synthetic materials. Go figure, it's a Monsanto product. But it's primarily made up of chemically derived phosphorus, potassium, and nitrogen, uh, among other synthetic chemicals. And it's not really considered healthy for the soil. Uh, Miracle Grow is engineered to be particularly high in nitrogen, which has the effect of increasing leaf production uh you know which is is how those plants grow quickly and so tall or as you said grow so out of control but it typically will also reduce flowering and vegetable production And I should say that the high nitrogen content Monsanto packs into this product is derived from fossil fuels like coal and oil as well. Uh, And also, even though GMOs may break down in the soil and not be absorbed directly into a plant, there have been some studies showing that chemical pesticides and other pollutants are fully capable of absorbing directly into plants and distributing uh, throughout the plant cells. So these are just some things to consider when buying anything from a uh, chemical company with a track record like Monsanto. Um, You know, the fact is we can't know every ingredient in their product, miracle Grow, but it may be worthwhile to investigate other soil alternatives. Uh, I'd check into organic soils made from uh, your own compost, if possible. Um, So I hope this helped, and thanks again for writing into the show. And next up, we have Larry Goodman. Larry writes Hey there, Mad Science. Great show. I'll get right to my question. I live in California and followed the GMO labeling issue brought up in ballot measure 37 last November. I was extremely disappointed it did not pass. However, since that time, I've heard that some states have now passed GMO labeling laws, Connecticut and Vermont. I was wondering if you could add anything to that information through your sources and if there are any other states following suit. I have heard that my state will be giving it another crack in the near future. We'll see. Thanks in advance if you decide to use my letter in your show. Hi, Larry. Well, we've almost got it. Uh, Connecticut and Maine are the only two states that have passed GMO labeling bills. But there is a small, or maybe not so small, catch uh, the bills are considered provisional, which means that they don't really take effect unless other states join in and pass labeling laws as well. So, for example, in order for Connecticut to have its GMO labeling law go into effect, four other states must also pass the same legislation with the requirement that one state borders Connecticut. And Maine is also bound by the same requirements. And Vermont uh, passed the labeling bill through the House, but is still waiting on the Senate, who are expected to vote on it next year sometime. Uh, Labeling legislation or ballot initiatives have actually been introduced in 25 other states so far, but it's not clear yet how many will actually adopt these. Uh, but states like New York and Washington are strongly considering it, and this is all exciting news because it shows that awareness of the GMO issue is increasing and that lawmakers are beginning to reflect what the majority of U.S. citizens uh, who know about the issue have been wanting for a really long time now. Uh, you know, things are also happening at the federal level too. The, uh, Senate Appropriations Committee voted very recently to give the FDA funding to label genetically modified salmon, uh, assuming that they approve the fish, which it's expected that they will, of course. Uh, as I'm sure you already know, they don't require labeling of any GMOs at this time, uh, using the argument that it would be too costly. So now, that the money would be there to pay for it, will they label or not? It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, in any case, it looks like uh, the right for folks to know what's in the food they eat is starting to become recognized as a legit issue, uh, much to the chagrin of the biotech and food industries. Uh, and mandatory labeling of GMOs is is still a ways off uh, in the United States, but uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, thanks for writing in. And with that, I'm afraid I've run out of time in this segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice, it really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. The show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. And I also want to tell you about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I'd love for you to come and give it a like and join in at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh, Mad Science, Genetic Crossroad. And I'm also on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash GMO mad science thank you for listening to mad science the genetic crossroad please join me every tuesday for more on gmo Uh, tonight we're broadcasting on wednesday of course but next week things will get back to a normal schedule beginning tuesday august 6th and i hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast if we destroy nature surely nature will destroy us for while we may hold dominion over nature we do not possess its wisdom until next time be well be healthy and be informed.